the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you just heard the announcer say, you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions about what we believe as Christians or why we believe it, Bible questions, life questions, what the Bible tells you to do, whatever's on your heart or mind, we'll do the best that we can to answer. All you have to do is call area code 210 340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com uh, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them in that way. If you're driving in your car, remember the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just one button. Call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. It's Wednesday. That means Paula is going to be here live on the Date Day program tomorrow. Ladies, it's a day that we set aside especially for you. Uh, so if you need encouragement or any have any questions for her, she will be here and ready. She's been away at our Pastor's Wise Retreat. She just got back. I got to see her for a couple minutes before the program. I missed her, but she's going to be great tomorrow. Uh, also tonight here at Calvary Chapel is a very special night for us. My dear friend Gail Irwin is going to be here. They just got here um, about an hour ago, uh, he and Ada. Gail will be preaching tonight. Jesus, uh, The Jesus style is what he is primarily known for. But what I know him for is he's a man that really loves Jesus, and you can tell when you're around him. Uh, we've been friends now for a whole bunch of years, but it seems like the older we get together, the, the more friendship we have. It just grows. He'll be here tonight, and you will be blessed. I invite you to come. Um, there won't be any special offerings taken. Don't have to worry about anything like that. But the word will come, and I promise you, you will be blessed. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can live stream it at calvarysa.com uh, if uh, you can't make it. And you will be blessed if you do. One more time for phone numbers, and then we'll get right to questions. 340-9585. Here is... Uh, my first question from, oops, got the wrong number, wrong thing up there. From our email inbox, this is from Bruce. Pastor Ron, please assist us in our Bible study in Amos chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. What am I missing? I don't understand. Uh, Bruce, whenever you get into the prophets, whether they're the major prophets or the minor prophets, uh, you always have to be really focused on on the, the context of the passage. Now, in Amos 6, what's being spoken about here is judgment. Now, let me read the passages that you, the verses that you asked about for the audience, and then we'll get to the answer. Uh, verse 9 says, If ten men are left in one house, they too will die. And if a relative who is to burn the bodies comes to carry them out of the house and asks anyone still hiding there, is anyone with you? And he says, No. Then he will say, Hush. 
we must not mention the name of the Lord. This is a reference to the judgment that God is going to bring. In the 8th verse, Bruce, it says, The sovereign Lord is sworn by himself. The Lord God Almighty declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and everything in it. So this is the circumstance surrounding the judgment. This is when God continually sent prophets to the people to get them to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from the the worship of false idols. And they simply didn't do it. And you know, God is patient, but after hundreds of years of being patient, judgment had to come. And 9 and 10, the verses you asked about, are the condition, the, the, the horrible condition of the land after, in fact, that judgment has come. And when it says, is anyone with you? Then he will say, hush, we must not mention the name of the Lord. Um, It's because they're hiding from the wrath of God. And when the judgment is coming, they're aware that this is a judgment from God. So there's this terrifying fear of God. You know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're told to fear God regularly. But it's a different kind of fear. It's a filial fear. A fear born of love and respect and honor and, 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 and absolute awe. But this is a fear of if anybody survives this particular destruction of the house, if one of them survives, he's going to try to remain hiding to hide from the Lord because that's how terrified of him he's going to be. So again, when you read these passages of Scripture, understand that they deal with judgment sent by God in the form of an invading enemy. Um, The first enemy was Assyria. Then later would come Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. And um, it didn't have to be that way. One of the things, Bruce, as you're going through this book in your studies, um, just remember, it never had to be that way. The same thing is true for us. We, We don't have to give in to sin and temptation. We don't have to pretend we can get away with it. We can repent. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If Israel would have turned to Him, if His people would have turned to Him, they would have avoided the terrible judgments to come. So, Bruce, that's what he's talking about there in the book of Amos. It is a good book, by the way. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is a question that just came in from our mobile app anonymously. Uh, was John Stott a born-again Christian even though he was an Anglican priest? I read the Anglicans be- that, that the Anglicans believe that Catholic and apolo- apostolic faith is revealed in Holy Scripture and the Catholic creeds and interpret these in light of the Christian tradition of the historic church, scholarship, reason, and experience. Um, anonymous, it's, you, what you read is sort of right. The Catholic there uh, means universal. Not, it's not Catholic like you and I understand Catholic. Um, the Anglicans and the Episcopal Church is their um, uh, United States counterpart. And there's a lot of problems today with Anglicans and with Episcopals in terms of what they believe or, more importantly, what they don't believe. But I can promise you, John Stott was a giant of our faith. Uh, Not only a born-again Christian, but uh, a blessing to me personally. Um, Some of the stuff that he's written... um, as as been an anchor for me for years and his commentaries especially on Romans um, are priceless so anything that you want to read from John Stott you are going to be abundantly blessed by it and while he was an Anglican um, you know remember the the Anglican Church is the National Church of England Uh, if you're born in London, you're going to be christened into the Anglican Church, but believe me, John Stott was a born-again believer, and as I said, a giant of our faith. So, uh, the Catholic creeds, um, he's speaking about the universal church. That's what Catholic means. Uh, We have come to believe, um, every time we see the word Catholic, it's a Roman Catholic Church, and I think that's probably uh, appropriate in the time that we live in. But uh, John Stott was truly a born-again believer um, and one of my favorite authors, one of my very, very favorite authors. Here is a question from Kenny. He says, is penal substitutionary atonement 
an essential of our faith. Um, Kenny, as I, Isaiah 53 says that he was uh, punished. Um, the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. Um, obviously, Isaiah 53 is uh, uh, messianic prophecy. Uh, and so the answer would be yes. Uh, it is uh, uh, an essential of the faith. Uh, if there is no um, atonement for our sins, if our sins weren't punished, then we have no faith. God is holy. God is just. And because he's just, he can't overlook sin. So there had to be an answer. And the answer was Jesus, God becoming a man. Philippians chapter 2. Um, he considered equality with God not something to be held on to. Though, though he had it, he let it go and he did it willingly and voluntarily for us. Why? So that he could take the punishment that brought us peace and that he might die. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And um, in that particular case, Kenny, um, that makes penal substitutionary atonement an essential of our faith. Uh, I know it's under attack now. Uh, we live in a, in a world, you know, where, uh, well, why does God have to punish and why does he have to judge? Uh, but the reality is that if God doesn't judge sin, if Jesus didn't go to that cross for you and for me, then we're still lost in our sins because they haven't been punished. Um, it's very fashionable, N.T. Wright and among others, um, to, to sort of discount um, penal substitutionary atonement. Well, it just doesn't make sense that God would have to do that. Well, uh, the Bible could not be more clear. Um, and I consider it an essential. So I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your calls. Here is another anonymous question. These are always difficult ones for me. It says, Pastor Ron, would you discuss things that you wish you'd known 20 years ago in terms of pastoral ministry? Um, you know, anonymous the 24 years that I've been doing this, it seems like 24 minutes ago. That's how fast it's gone. So I never think of myself in terms of learning things that I wish I'd known before. Um, um, it's just every day. My life spins so quickly. It's just every day being with Jesus, every day understanding that, that he gives the orders, I follow the orders. It's real simple. Uh, I, th I, can, I can tell you this. Uh, I wish 20 years ago that I would have enjoyed it more. Um, it was a very hard time for us here at Calvary Chapel. We were just getting started. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. I'll tell you, when Paul and I got here, we had no idea it was going to be as difficult as it was. You know, we had that sort of expectation that we're always warned not to have, but we can't help it because we're humans. We had it anyway. And that expectation was that we would get here and hit the city limits of San Antonio the first time we came into town. We'd never been here. And we expected that there'd be, oh, 500 of our best friends there waiting for us. Boy, we've been waiting for you. Take me to a church building and everything would be fine. It wasn't that way at all. We had to depend every single day on the Lord just for the smallest things. We're in a strange place. Uh, we, we knew no one. How do you start a church? We had no idea. Um, but those days of wonder, sometimes I miss them. Those days when I knew, you know, today when, when I got up, Paula wasn't here, but I got up, I know I'm going to have some cereal to eat for breakfast. There were days when we had nothing at all to eat. And it's hard to enjoy it when you're living it. But from this perspective, looking back, you look at those tests and you think those were the opportunities that God provided so that we could learn to trust him. We could learn that he's faithful. And uh, I wished I'd enjoyed them more. Um, I try to communicate that. We planted a whole bunch of churches out of our church, and when we send pastors out to start from scratch, uh, we always tell them the same thing. Enjoy it. It's, it's a time of awe and wonder, a time when you'll see the hand of God move supernaturally. And, and we need that. Because when those difficult times come, we need to know that we can trust Him. 
not taking matters into our own hands. So I think that's the primary thing. Um, in terms of, of um, maybe I wish that I'd been a little less, I don't know the right word to use, demanding of people. I'm a pretty black and white guy, anonymous, and so when somebody comes and says to me that God told me to do this, he told me to come to this church and I want you to help me, uh, I make sure they really mean it. If they say, yeah, I really mean it, then I'm going to hold their feet to the fire, not in a in a, a oppressive way or anything, but but I, I take it very seriously when God brings somebody and that somebody says, well, I'm called to be a pastor, I'm called to do this, or I'm called to do that. I want them to walk in the fullness of God's will for their lives. And probably at the beginning, uh, I was a little difficult to deal with um, when people wanted to quit. And I probably would change that now if I look back uh, on that ministry. So other than that, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you, Anonymous, for, for, for 24 years, uh, every day has just been filled with, with his joy, with his peace, with his presence, no matter how difficult it was. And the end result now, I look back after 20, almost 24 years, and I, I, all I can think about is, is, look what I'd missed if I'd quit. Look at the people just before this radio program began today, and this happens every weekday here at the studio in the office. We had probably nine kids come in from school to pray for us, to pray for the radio program. To, to, we prayed for tonight's Bible study. Uh, I watched those kids be born. I mean, God's entrusted us with that. This is the greatest job in the history of the world. And so if you're asking the question from the perspective, you know you've been called into the pastoral ministry, whatever it takes, don't miss out on any of it and enjoy all of it. Hope that helps a little bit. It's always a little awkward because I'm not exactly sure where people are coming from. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is... Another anonymous question. Could someone who believes the gifts of the Spirit have ceased become a Calvary Chapel pastor? Uh, no, the answer is no. Um, not that he couldn't become a pastor, but he certainly couldn't become a Calvary Chapel pastor. You know, we have distinctives. Um, we are charismatic. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Uh, we want like-minded, like-hearted people. Uh, Calvary Chapel for better or for worse, depending on your perspective. Um, we have an identity. Uh, our identity has always been um, our founding pastor um, stood up at a pulpit and turned the pages of the Bible and taught verse by verse or chapter by chapter. There were nights that he would teach on a Wednesday night in Old Testament Bible study. He would teach five, six, even seven chapters. Um, and when we do that, um, it, it, it identifies who we are. He always used to saying, you know, if you go to McDonald's, you know what you're going to get, whether you're in California or in Florida or New York. And uh, so we want like-minded people. Um, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, a pre-millennial rapture of the church. We believe um, um, in, in teaching the Word verse by verse. Um, that's what identifies us for who we are. And so when we ordain somebody as a Calvary Chapel pastor, we want to have general agreement. Now, we have different styles, different personalities, but in terms of the essentials, in terms of our affiliation with one another, those are really, really important things that we can walk in agreement on. So I hope that helps a little bit. Let's go to San Antonio now for our first call. Jacob on line one. Jacob, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, good, good. Hey, listen, I want to get, I mean, I want to get your perspective on tithing on, like, strictly 10% or what you believe, like, the New Testament says when, when it says you give with a cheerful heart and, and what you decided in your heart to give. And I'm asking because my wife and I, we stopped tithing for about a year because we were getting so far behind on credit card debt. And I'd actually prayed about it, and I felt comfortable with trying to pay off that debt. 
And ironically, it's gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. and, and so God is actually calling my wife and I to start some sort of foster home. And he is leading us to make some very faith-filled decisions, and part of that is tithing. And I feel comfortable to start tithing. And I'm wondering, your perspective is, you know, as we pray about it, do we just, con- just simply follow the Holy Spirit's leading? Um, is there a strict 10%? Or what are your thoughts and what do you teach? Um, I'll, let, I'll, I'll take the question off the air, okay? Thank, thank you, Jacob. I can do that, and I'll be praying for you uh, as you take these steps of faith. Before I answer that question, let me say this. There's nothing as thrilling as God asking you to walk into what seems to be impossible waters. Nothing so thrilling. So surrender the lordship of your finances to Jesus. Be a good steward of what he's given you. Being a good steward always begins with giving to him. Give with a cheerful heart. And I promise you, you won't be able to outgive God. Now that's the principle. Relative to the issue of tithing, I've been asked this question many times on this program, and the tithe, the 10%, is not a law that pertains to Christians. It was a law given to Jews, the Mosaic law, and they were to give a tenth, and in fact, they always gave more than a tenth because it was a tenth given to the temple treasury, a tenth given uh, to the the priests in terms of of food and grain and other kinds of things. Uh, And and when you combine them, I think it was probably about uh, a 28% total. Some of them were only seasonal, but the idea is God wanted them to share what he had blessed with, blessed them with, he wanted them to share that with him. And he gave them rules. And rules, of course, are, are easy because 10% is 10%. And that's what the word tithe means. It means a tenth. In a New Testament construct, the word tithe is never used in the New Testament except when Jesus uses it as he's speaking to the Jewish people especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, men who were under the law. You tithe and it's right that you do so, he said. It was right because they were under law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. But when he gave us a new covenant, this is the blood, uh, the cup of, of the new covenant written in my blood, he said. And, and in effect, he canceled the old covenant. So one of the struggles that I have helping people understand is that that we're not bound to give 10%. We're to give God everything. Everything, our time, our talent, our treasure, it all belongs to the Lord. As New Testament Christians, that's Romans chapter 12, verse 1, by the way. And so if we give everything that we have, we understand that's for him. Now here's a good way to think about this, Jacob. Um... In the Old Testament, they would say, and I'm going to use modern-day currency because it's easier, um, for every dollar we get, okay, Jesus, here's 10 cents for you, I get 90 cents. Under the New Testament covenant of grace, how much more should we give? And the way to approach this is, Lord, all of this is yours. You've blessed me with it. Now, he's going to let you keep most of it. And believe me, Jacob, he wants you to pay your bills. He doesn't want you to live on on credit cards. He he wants you to be a good steward. And I think preparing for what God's called you to do, you need to get those ducks in order. But the, the, the problem is that then giving becomes something we have to do. I've got to give. Under grace, giving is something we get to do. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Jesus, you gave me a buck. What do you want to do with your dollar? And when we learn to walk by faith, again, there's no mention of a tenth anywhere in the New Testament. Rather, we give with a cheerful heart. Now, we put our money where our mouth is, Jacob. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't take an offering. We don't pass a plate. We never ask for money, nor do we let our needs be known. People give because they want to. And God has turned our group of believers into a very generous group of believers. The things that God does with so little, it's an amazing thing to watch. We never would have experienced it had we done what everybody else did. 
Now the question comes up, why do so many churches teach a tithe? Uh, without judging anybody's heart, I personally think that it's just easier to budget. If I can get everybody to sign a membership commitment and agree to give me 10% of the income and I know what their income is, then I can budget, which means basically I don't have to trust the Lord. And what God has done with us, we've got a free school, we've got a free doctor's office, family practice doctor's office, we've got a house where ladies live and 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 serve where they get a new chance in life. There's just so many things. We've got Joy of Jesus coming up. By the way, I'll be talking about that a lot. Um, we've seen God do more with so little that I ever would have imagined possible. You'll do the same thing. So you start, you and your wife together. You've got to be in agreement with this. You're one heart, one flesh. So when you get some money, Lord, thank you for blessing me with this. What do you want us to do with it? You can't outgive him, but you got to give not to get from him. You give because what if he's given to you. So Jacob, I hope that helps. Thank you for calling. We've got 30 minutes left in today's program. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program today 340-9585 here is a question that just came in from our mobile app from denise she asks how does god's forgiveness work he died on the cross for us, for our sins, so at that moment he forgave us, right? Yet when we sin, we ask God to forgive us. Aren't we already forgiven? Uh, Denise, we are. Now, uh, I want to make this as, as easy to understand as I can. There's a positional forgiveness and a practical forgiveness. Uh, when Jesus died, the debt was paid. He gave up his spirit and our sins past, present, and future, we're all forgiven. At that moment, Romans 3, 24, we were justified freely. I love that. Justified freely, just as if we'd never sinned. And it costs us nothing, but it costs heaven everything. And when we ask God to come into our life, into our heart, and we're born again, then all of our sins are gone. Now, practically, we have a relationship to nurture. The Apostle Paul says it would work out, not work for, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so when we work it out, we're walking with Jesus. You've heard me on this program say over and over, just be with Jesus. Well, in order to do that, we have to have a relationship with him based on holiness. In him is light. There's no darkness at all. If we're going to walk with him, we have to walk in the light. So when we sin, Denise... We're walking in darkness. And that means our relationship is broken. It has nothing to do with salvation, but our relationship is broken. It's sort of like a husband and a wife, you know, they love each other, they're married, but every once in a while they argue and, and the, the silence between them is, is really, really dark, you know. It's just you don't feel very loving. Well, sin causes that kind of separation. God loves us always. But we can experience his love. Sin violates the agreement. God can't walk in the darkness. We're walking in the darkness. So we've walked away from him. He's never walked away from us, but we've walked away from him. And so our relationship gets broken because of sin. That's why 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is so important. If we confess our sins, the word confess means to agree with God about sin. If we ask for forgiveness, he's faithful to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And instantly we have that right standing with God fully restored and we can walk with Jesus again and our relationship is back on solid ground. So it's not for salvation that we ask for forgiveness. We ask to, to reestablish that relationship we have that's been broken by sin. Denise, too many Christians 
And we hear about grace all the time, and it's right that we should. Grace is the most wonderful thing ever. But too many of us, we, we get so used to hearing grace. God loves us. God will forgive us. All of our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. We hear those things, and we stop hating our sin. And the thing that we've got to do always is hate our sin because it separates us from God. And the problem, whether it's you, Denise, or me, and I've been a pastor for 24 years, if I'm too far from Jesus, I'm going to mess up again and again and again and again. So I've got to keep short accounts. That's why the Apostle Paul says to examine ourselves daily to see whether we're in the faith. So that our fellowship with God is always pure, it's always sweet, and it's always fresh. And sin will do everything to destroy that. That's why we ask for forgiveness. Denise, I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Nigel on line one. Nigel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. I was uh, calling because I was talking with a friend yesterday, and we were discussing the topic of prayer. And uh, I was saying that prayer does change things, and she believed that prayer did not change things. It, it just uh, aligned our will more towards what the Father's was, as, a, as she believed in a sovereign God who had control over everything. And I was wondering um, just kind of where, if there was a balance in that, or, or if it was one or the other, and, uh, and I'll, I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you very, very much. It's a great question. You know, um, uh, prayer does change things. Um, uh, most notably, prayer changes you. Prayer changes me. And and so I think the balance between your wife's position and yours is is right where we find the answer. You know, if if in praying to the Lord, I become more like Him. If I learn more about His heart, if I learn more about His will for my life, we do that from the Word of God then I'm going to be praying things in the will of God. Those prayers are prayers that are always going to be answered. Sometimes, sometimes, we don't understand this tension between God's sovereignty and our free will. But what we have to understand always is that God is partnering with us through prayer to accomplish His will. I think of Moses, who uh, was tested continually. Moses, I'm, uh, I'm so tired of these people. They're, they're wearing me out. Um, I'm just going to destroy them, and then you and I will go, and I'll walk with you, and, and you, can, you can start a, a new thing. I'll bless you all over again. Moses said, no, for your name's sake. No, these are your people. I always laugh because Moses and, and God would, would sort of have these negotiations. They're your people. No, Moses, they're your people. They're not my people. I didn't ask for them. But the idea is that God used Moses to plead their case. Not only is that a, an important picture of Jesus, whoever lives to intercede for us, but it's a picture for us of how God used Moses' prayer, and he did change his mind. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't know he was going to change his mind. God is sovereign, but he changed the circumstances after partnering with a man who had his heart. Now, too often, we associate prayer and, and, and answers to prayer to results. And instead of doing that, what we ought to do is pray simply because that's what God told us to do. I'll give you a good example in the New Testament. Uh, go to Colossians, go to Ephesians, the early chapters, and, and just read the Apostle Paul's prayers. That was a man who was praying from the heart of God. That was a man who walked with Jesus every day. And, and you'll learn to pray. Those are the kinds of prayers that God will answer. And you'll see changes, but the most notable change Nigel is always going to be in the one who's doing the praying. And if we have a distorted view of God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that we can't do anything to change our circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances are designed by God to change us, and that's when we come to God in prayer. I've had people ask me, well, if, if God knows what he's going to do already, why do we pray? Because God wants to partner with us. And as we pray, and as we change, we become more like God and change results. So there's no neat little answer with a bow on it, but I think the balance between your wife's position and your position is exactly where the answer is, Nigel. Pray, why? Because God told us to pray. 
Jesus said, pray and do not faint. Don't give up. Well, if you know what you're going to do, why do we do it? Well, we do it just because it gives us the opportunity to partner with Jesus in something. You know, I've shared this with you before, but Paula prayed for me for 13 years. She didn't see any change. In fact, the little change that she was able to observe was me getting worse and worse and worse. But God put it in her heart to hang there with him as they partnered in prayer for me continually. And everything changed one day. And it literally was that quick. Everything changed in one day. And when things change, Jesus is going to be there with his arm around you, smiling at you. Told you, just pray. Talking to God, walking with the Lord, is the greatest privilege we have. I had a radio listener stop by the program today, and I was in a meeting with somebody. And so I couldn't see him. And... Um, um, so I left a message, returned his call, and left a message, and I couldn't get together with him, and he called back, and I was just getting ready to start the program, so I couldn't um, talk to him at that point either. Uh, and, and all I could think about was, you know, I'm harder to get a hold of than Jesus is. I think that's a great thing. So Nigel, I hope that answers your question. For both, both of you, just keep praying, and I promise you, you'll see things change in ways that you never dreamed possible. Let's go to Shirts, Texas now and talk with Scott on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. God bless Hi, you and your ministry. Um, Thank I you. I just wanted to maybe say an encouraging word. I think it was Jacob. Is he the one that, that called about the finance credit card issue? Um, yes. I just wanted to share. Um, I was in a situation, it's been many years ago now, where I literally was $1,000 a month short of paying my, my payments that I had. And uh, I had a job where my credit was my job. I had a, um, a stepdaughter with cancer. I had a lot of pressures on me. But at that time, I, I started tithing. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not advocating tithing, but giving. I understand. You know, at the time, I, yeah. I did tithing because I didn't know any different. Yep. But I, my attitude was, it all belonged to the Lord. Um, I, I, you know, I was just going to pay him first. And this is what I want to share with Jacob. Um, in the process through that, God did many miracles. I can't tell you all of them, but one of them was is I was I didn't have enough to even eat every day. And my neighbor's house was struck by lightning. It melted all the wiring in his house. I visited with him one day. He he was so tired of staying in a hotel, his insurance was paying for everything. I said, Well, I've got a kitchen, you're more than welcome to use it. But what I didn't realize at that point was his wife cooked me meals every single day for like three months. <laughs> I mean, and there's story after story after story. God yeah. just blessed me so much. And I just want to encourage Jacob. <clears throat> what I learned from only from that, once I surrendered my finances to him, that's when I realized I, I started surrendering all the other things. Um, particularly as men, we compartmentalize and we have different yep. parts of our lives. And once I surrendered it all to him, it was absolutely amazing. So let just encourage him. I'll, I'll continue to pray for him also. Thank, Thank you, you Scott. Great, great, great word. You know, one of the things that we have to learn, it's an essential for us as, as we learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of, of Jesus and of his will for our lives. Um, we got to learn that he's trustworthy. And he asks these things, you know, and this is for, for you as well, Jacob. Um, we've had people come into this church over the years in such bad financial shape, living on credit cards and, and, and just overwhelming debt. And when they came for help, there were, there were a few times when we told people, we do not want you to give to us. Your offering to the Lord is to get rid of this mountain of debt that you've got. So you do that and give God a chance to move. And we've seen God move so powerfully in those people's lives. Now, if God is telling you to give again, then you want to do that because, I said earlier, you cannot give him. That's not why we give, not to get. Motive is everything in this issue of giving. And sadly, and in fact, I'm going to be teaching the passage in Luke 6 this coming Sunday uh, that deals with motive, the, 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 the terrible teaching that's out there like, well, I'm going to give to God and he has to give me more. Uh, that misses the point altogether. God can't bless that kind of giving at all. But when you give to God, and in Jacob's case, because he's put some ministry on your heart, he wants to do something with you and through you. 
You take those steps of faith, and believe me, it's not going to be easy. But you take those steps of faith, and as Scott just indicated, you're going to see his hand move in ways that you never could have imagined. So, Scott, God bless you, man. What an encouraging word. 340-9585. Here is a question from a mobile app that just came in from Harrison. Pastor Ron, what's going on in Daniel 10 with an angel and the prince of Persia and Michael? Why would God let one of his messengers be delayed? I figured the demon would have no power in this situation. Harrison, you're sort of right. The demon didn't have ultimate power. But Daniel chapter 10 is one of those magnificent passages of Scripture where we get a a sort of a look behind the curtain to see the war going on in the spiritual realm. Now, what's really important about this is the context. Daniel has just had this, this unbelievable vision of the end times. The great tribulation, uh, the, the 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 time in the future that it's going to come, the seventy sevens, and 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 he was just awestruck. Uh, he he fell down as dead. The vision was so powerful. And as soon as he began to pray, an answer was sent from heaven, and the enemy, the devil, so didn't want that answer to be delivered. He didn't want Daniel to know. He, didn't, he did everything he could to hold up the answer. And the enemy, remember Lucifer, was the, the greatest, most powerful of God's angels. Uh, he's the counterpart of Michael the archangel. Michael is called Israel's protector or Israel's prince. And so the messenger that was sent with the answer was delayed. He couldn't overcome um, the devil. And so God dispatched, 21 days, God dispatched Michael. And Michael made sure. So ultimately, God was going to get his answer through. That was never in question. But uh, evidently, there was a reason to be delayed. And at least from my perspective, those delays to answered prayer, uh, I think, are always those times of testing. And Daniel, of course, so faithful. Uh, Arguably, Daniel and Isaiah, the two holiest men in Scripture, nothing bad said about either one of them. And, and Daniel was faithful to pray. And Daniel kept seeking the Lord and 21 days before the answer got to him. And then when the answer came, saw the angel, uh, Gabriel sent him, uh, brought the answer. Um, at that point, he was awestruck again, overwhelmed by this vision. But he got the answer. So it was simply, uh, that's kind of a peak what goes on uh, behind the curtain in the spiritual realm. Those battles are going on. You know, I don't know about you, Harrison, but there are times when I'm praying when when I can absolutely feel the, 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 the enemy's presence. Now, the devil's not bothering with me. I, I'm not worthy of the devil's attention, but demons and the fallen angels, um, I can feel the evil presence. And those are the times when I'm, I'm encouraged to, to push deeper not to give up. I know I'm under attack, and yet we've got to fight even harder. The way we fight is to strive to be with Jesus. And then the answers come. So that was what was going on there. That is a marvelous passage of Scripture. Here is another question that just came in from our mobile app anonymously. Uh, I've heard in Jewish culture that someone had to be dead for four days for them to be really dead. Lazarus, for example, Lord, he stinketh. I like that. That's in parentheses. Why then was Jesus only in tomb for uh, Friday night to Sunday morning? Shouldn't it have been longer? Uh, it wasn't that somebody had to be dead. It was just superstition uh, in a Jewish culture. That's why Jesus waited the four days before going and raising Lazarus from the dead. He wanted them to be sure that everybody knew he was really, really dead. And it was Jewish superstition that for three days, maybe the spirit would hover around the body um, and be able to be drawn back into the body and bring life. But, but after the third day, for the fourth day, that he was really, really dead. And there was no possibility of resurrection. So that's why Jesus um, waited four days. But, but it, it wasn't something that was true. When you're dead, you're dead. We know that. But Jesus 
was prophesied to be raised from the dead on the third day. So he was really dead. He didn't have to be in there any longer at all. <laughs> My wife has a saying. She, she would say, oh yeah, he was dead dead. That's Paula. <laughs> so Anonymous, I hope that helps. It was just a superstition. There were lots of superstition. You'll see in the book of Acts that, that Paul's handkerchiefs, the, the, we'd call them sweatbands that he wore when he was doing his tent making. Um, people would touch him and be healed, or Peter's shadow would walk by them and they'd be healed. Um, that was just God meeting them where they were. That was all superstition, but not necessarily, uh, certainly not biblical. So I hope that helps. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Robert. Robert says, "Do you believe we should keep the Jewish feasts and celebrations?" Robert, uh, no. Um, if you want to, you can. But Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, 17 says, these are a shadow of the things to come, the greater things to come. Of course, Jesus, the fulfillment of that shadow, of those those uh, celebrations, um, is, is the treasure. So if we celebrate the Passover, when the real Passover lamb has been crucified and risen from the dead, we're celebrating just an empty tradition. So no, we shouldn't keep it. Um, but if you want to, it's okay. I have a picture, and I've answered this question, a similar question like this. I have a picture of Paula in our bedroom um, that's always been my favorite. Uh, and I don't know, she's 21, 22 years old in the picture. Um, and I love the picture. I absolutely love the picture. Now, it's getting old. It's been around for a long time. And, uh, but but um, as much as I love that picture, wouldn't it be awful if Paula walked into the bedroom and found me hugging the picture? And she said, well, hug me. And I said, no, I'd rather hug the picture. That would be silly. And yet that's what we do when we insist on celebrating the Jewish feasts and celebrations. We're not Jews. We're not under law. We have the risen Christ, Robert. So no, I don't believe we should. However, you can if you want to. Is there any value in it? I don't think so. But I know people that do. So, I hope it brings them closer to the Lord, but I don't think so. Adam wants to know, Pastor Ron, who are the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11? Uh, Adam, we know one of them for sure is Elijah. Uh, Elijah must come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, the, b before the great tribulation. Um, that's been prophesied for us uh, in the Old Testament. Um, the other, I am 100% convinced, is Moses. What you've got there is you've got Moses, uh, who is uh, representative of the law, and Elijah, who is the Prince of Prophets. So you get the Law and the Prophets. They testify of Jesus. And they're going to be there, testifying of Jesus. One of the things that we need to remember about the Great Tribulation is it is entirely Jewish in context. It's God coming back to set things right in Israel, preparing a throne for Jesus to rule and reign from. We know that there's going to be a great revival led by these two witnesses and the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And it, according to Zechariah, one-third of the people in Israel are going to recognize Jesus when he returns. Where did you get those wounds? I got these wounds in the house of my friends and there's going to be mourning and weeping as never before. It's because a third of the people are going to get saved. Now two-thirds of them are going to perish in unbelief. But the two witnesses that always testify of Jesus, the Law and the Prophets, Moses and Elijah, are going to be the witnesses. Now, Adam, in fairness, there are some people who, who argue that it has to be Enoch because Enoch and Elijah are the only two people that never died. Both were translated supernaturally and instantly. And so some say, no, it has to be Enoch, because the Bible says it's appointed and a man to die once and then face the judgment. But that's a misunderstanding of the Hebrews 9 passage. Um, that's just a general principle. You're going to live, you're going to die, you're going to be judged. 
There's no second chance is what's being communicated there. And so I am completely confident that those two witnesses are going to be Moses and Elijah. By the way, if you see the things that they did, fire coming from their mouths, those are the things that um, were done by Moses and Elijah. So I think there's your answer. We have time for one more question. Here is a question from Patrick. At what age should we allow our kids to be baptized? Uh, Patrick, I think you should allow them to be baptized uh, when they understand the concept. You know, we do baptisms, and we have a big baptism uh, once a year. And there's always kids who want to get baptized. And I just tell the parents, have the children come to me, and I'll ask them some questions and, and see why they want to do it, see if they understand it. Um, and in some cases, I'm completely convinced they know exactly what they're doing and have the right motives. In other cases, I'm not so sure. In some cases, I'm sure they don't get it at all. They just want to go in the water. So I think there's a time we've got to be discerning. Now, in those middle ground, where you're not sure if they understand it, but you think maybe they might, Jesus had suffered not the little children to come unto me. And, and, and so we always give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think it pleases God's heart. At the same time, um, God is going to take what they say seriously and he's going to chase them. And then when the time comes when they're old enough and they really do understand, then if they feel the need to get baptized again, um, because it's their decision to do so, it's not just something mom and dad want them to do, um, then, then God's in control of that. So I think as soon as they can understand, I baptize kids as young as four and they got it. And baptized older people that didn't get it. So we just take a shot. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for the calls and the questions. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Remember tonight, Pastor Gail Irwin is going to be here on the program. Tomorrow, Paula live in studio. Ladies, it's your day. We'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.